Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank podcast. We love God, love people, and love our city. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org. Hi there. Thank you for joining us again here, Church Online. We appreciate the fact that you're taking time and connecting uh, through this medium. Today we continue on this topic, uh, fire and ashes. This is a sermon series we started about four weeks ago. And last week, uh, Lereko spoke about facing your furnace. What a great word it was. And I want to encourage you, if you missed it, please uh, get it on our podcast or get it on our YouTube channel. It was incredible and incredible and a timely word for where we are uh, as a people, as a nation, and also where the world is today. And um, uh, today we will be speaking about fire before the rain. Fire before the rain. Why are we talking about fire before the rain? It is because we understand that the fire of God brings purification before revival comes. The fire of God brings purification before revival comes. The fire of God comes to purify and to restore the altar of true worship. Revival is awakening the dead. Revival is bringing uh, that which is dead back to life. And revival also brings refreshing Today, as we look at this text in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, we want to start first by looking in 1 Kings chapter 16, where things went wrong in Israel. And when the people needed the rain, God says, fire first before you get the rain. I would put it this way. The people's felt need was the rain, was a revival. But God's priority was the fire. Fire before the rain. That's our topic today. So we're going to read from First King chapter 16, verse 29 to 33, just to get a context of what was happening before we get to First Kings chapter 18. We read, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. Now remember that um, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Now you had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You had Israel and you had Judah. Now the Bible says, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Abram, ruled over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all those who were before him. And as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which is built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In this text, we read about uh, uh, King Ahab who actually did this thing that was so bad in the eyes of God. The first thing he did was to uh, marry someone from a tribe that was outside the tribe of Israel. And we know very well that in, in, in the scripture at that time, you were not allowed to marry outside uh, Israel. And uh, 
the Bible clearly states how um, Jezebel influenced Ahab towards the worship of Baal and the worship of Asherah. You must remember that the worship of Baal was more focused on uh, believing Baal for fertility or for rain. Also, Asherah is the poles that people used to worship. And the Bible tells us here that um, uh, Ahab moved away from God. He did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the other kings of Israel. I mean, the things were bad. He had taken Israel so low, they had stooped so low that they forget, forgotten who they were. I just want to start by saying to all of us, be careful who you marry. Whether you're a man or a woman, be careful who you marry because they might just lead you astray to move from the one true God, the living God. And also, out of this, I want to bring our attention to this. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord than all the kings of Israel. He forgot who he was as the king of Israel. He moved the people of God from the worship of the one true God, the God who answers by fire, to the worship of Baal. And you may be listening to this word and you know in your life that you may have compromised. You may have covenanted yourself with, uh, with other things or other people that have actually brought you down from who you are as a child of God, as a son of God. And I want to encourage you today, restore the altar of the living God in your life. Let's continue to read to see the consequences of this bad leadership. Now we jump to verse uh, to chapter 17, we're reading from verse 1 to verse 7. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, remember Elijah was a prophet, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastwards and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and have, that I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Cherith that is in the east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now we see the consequences of bad leadership. Ahab has taken the people of Israel, the people of God, from worshiping the one true God. And as we read here, the Bible says God spoke through Elijah, the prophet, that there will not be rain for years to come. And at this point in time, it was a punishment that came because the people of God, that moved away from the covenant with the one true living God. And God provided for Elijah even in the midst of that famine. We read here how God instructed him to move uh, towards the east and to uh, live by the brook where he could be able to, to drink. But the Bible also says that he was fed with ravens. Uh, uh, God fed uh, through the ravens. He, he fed him bread and meat in the morning. I just like how God liked to, uh, to, to, to show up with uh, ways that we never expect. I mean, here's uh, Elijah, the prophet of God, being fed by God himself. He has meat for breakfast and he also has meat for, for dinner. I mean, God, when he begins to bless us, he blesses us. 
Jesus in front of our enemies. Just as Psalm 23 says, he prepares the table before me in front of my enemies. And in the message paraphrase, it says, he prepares a six-course dinner in front of my enemies. God provides for his own. Even through this very difficult year, we've seen how God has come through for us in so many ways, and we are grateful for that. Just this last Sunday, someone walked up to me and said, Pastor Sai, I just want you to know I've been believing God for a job. I have now been given a job, and tomorrow I start the new job. God provides for His people. We read in Psalm 38, the Bible says that I was young and I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging bread. It is interesting that um, throughout all of Israel's history, we see how God provides for them supernaturally. And we have seen how God continues to provide for us. It, it, interesting, when you continue to read in chapter 17 of uh, uh, First Kings, uh, when the brook dried up, when there was no longer water in the brook, uh, God led... Um, uh, Elijah to go to the widow of Zarephath and uh, he was able to be fed by a widow. Sometimes God provides for us in places we did not expect provision to come from because God is a God of supernatural provision. Let's continue to read. Now we're jumping to uh, chapter 18 of First Kings and now we see that the land has been in famine and God comes up after three years, and speaks to Elijah. We're reading from verse 1 of 1 Kings 18. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was so severe in Samaria. I mean, imagine three and a half years of no rain. How did people survive? The Bible says the famine was so severe in Samaria. I mean, we may look at the situation in South Africa today, in the world today. We may look at how many people are struggling, people who have lost jobs, and maybe some of you are also struggling. But I want to remind you that God provides for His people even in the midst of famine. And now when God showed up and spoke to Elijah, says, Go to Ahab, go and confront Ahab and tell him rain is coming so interesting we continue to read in verse 17 when ahab saw elijah ahab said to him is it you troubler of israel troubler of israel verse 18 and he answered i have not troubled israel but you have you king you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the lord and followed baals now therefore send and gather all israel to me at mount carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Imagine the prophets of Asherah and the prophets of Baal, they eat at the queen's table. Now, I believe the setting here when Ahab showed up and approached the king, the setting here was God wanting to deal with the idols in the land and God wanted to show who the one true God is. But I also like how Elijah was speaking truth to power. Uh, Ahab comes and says, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah responds by saying, not you, you are the troubler of Israel. You and your father's household, you've moved away from the commandments of God and you've moved the people of God from the commandments of God. It sounds to me like a, 
Justice Zondo right now with the commission. I mean, he is so patient and he's speaking truth to power and he's not giving up. He's not giving in. I think I might have lost my cool by now. We need to learn to speak truth to power like the prophets of old. When Elijah called for the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, the Lord was going after the idols to restore true worship in the land of Israel. Elijah had faith in God. He had seen the Lord move before and he knew God can do it again. He knew that God can do it again. And this is where we are today. We've seen God move before. We've got testimonies where we've seen God come through for us. And I want to say, God will do it again. Let's read further. This is uh, the crux of uh, this text that we're reading today. We're reading from verse 20. The prophets of Baal defeated. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. They were silent. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, am the only one left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, small g, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, for he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. All the people said, cool, that's good with us. Let's give it a go. Again, look at the setting here. A, the prophet Elijah says, I'm the only one who's left. We read in a few um, verses before that actually he wasn't the only prophet left. There were about a hundred prophets that were hidden somewhere in a cave by one of uh, the king's um, right-hand men. So interesting that the Bible says, Elijah says, I'm the only one left. And at this point in time, he's saying, I'm the only one standing here to face the prophets of Baal. I pray that we will have the same kind of courage to speak truth to power. And the words that he uses in front of all the Israelites is saying, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you go wavering between two different opinions? I guess the best way to describe this to us is like a, when you, what we've seen in movies is a, you see a guy uh, finding himself uh, in trouble where he has uh, double booked himself. He's got a date with, with this one lady and a date with another lady and it happens to be at the same restaurant, and he's moving between the two during the course of the night. I mean, that itself is a bad picture. That should not be happening to start with, and we know how it ends. He's limping between two different people. We know exactly how it ends. It may be that maybe he's double-booked himself with, uh, with his boss or with his girlfriend, and he's limping between two different uh, places. If you've watched the movie, Mrs. Doubtfire, this scene exactly happens like that and we know the evening ends up worse you end up losing both so we need to make a choice who are we going to worship are we going to be worshiping uh, two gods or are we going to be worshiping the one true god 
So two examples of what I call syncretism. Syncretism is that belief of I believe in God, but I'm mixing and amalgamating with other religions or with other traditional beliefs. And the first example will be ancestralism. Ancestralism is where people say, I believe in God, I worship God, but I also consult with the ancestors. Something is wrong with that picture. You either choose to trust in God, the one true living God, or follow the Baals, follow the ancestors. The other one example is uh, uh, cultures that uh, idolizes meritocracy, that idolizes whether it's uh, education, wealth, uh, cultures that idolizes uh, success. Meritocracy, we know, is a culture that you, you get everything based on merit, based on success. Not that uh, we shouldn't uh, appreciate education, not that we shouldn't uh, want to be successful, but we should not idolize those things. It is Christians who say, my strength and my power has achieved all this wealth for me. We read this in Deuteronomy 17. Christians who say, you know what, all that you see here, I've achieved it by myself, forgetting the one and true God. It is in the same text that it says that you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth so that he will establish his covenant here on earth. So my challenge for us today is we need to make a choice. Will we worship the one true God or will we go limping between two different opinions, just like the Israelites wavered? As we continue to read, we get to the highlight of this moment. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, small g, but no, no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal in the morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. And no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. They limping around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry out loud, for he is a God. He's either musing, meditating, or is he relieving himself? Or is he on a journey? Or perhaps he's asleep? Oh, maybe you need to wake him up. And they cried out loud and cut themselves after their customs with swords and laces and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And at midday past, they raved on the, until the time of the offering of the oblation. There was an afternoon offering, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Again, those words, they limped around the altar. It is a form of worship that people will limp around the altar. If you have been exposed to those apostolic churches, most of, most of the times they fellowship uh, in open areas, in parks. You will see the way they sing going around and limping as a form of worship. You see exactly where it comes from. The other thing it says that they cried out loud and cut themselves. Self-harm is a form of worship. It's a way of trying to get attention from the people that they worship. It is interesting that we see where teenage cutting stems from. 
having read a little bit on teenage cutting, I really feel for parents who have had to go through this with their teenagers. Some friends of mine in another city, we've journeyed with them through the season, and it is tough. It is painful to see your child going through this. And at the uh, at the heart of it, at the root of it, it's actually an issue of identity, that they're struggling with identity. Now, I pray that we will see revival with our young people. Remember that it is fire before the rain. I pray that we'll see revival. I pray that those young people who are struggling will come to a place where they can worship the one true God and they will not feel like they need to harm themselves to get attention. Fire comes before the rain. Purification before revival. The Lord promised in Isaiah 42 that when you go through the fire, I will be with you. The fire will not consume you. So if you are going through that challenge with your teenagers right now, we want to pray God's peace over you and trust that God will cover you in this season. We read verse 30 to 35. The Bible says, then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. After Elijah gave the prophets of Baal an opportunity to scream out loud, to shout out loud, to cut themselves until blood came down, he started even mocking them and saying, where's your God? You know, is he probably meditating? Has he gone on holiday? Is he going to leave? You know, where is your God? Nothing happened all day long. Now we, time, we come to the time of the afternoon sacrifice. Elijah goes, come near to me and all the people came near and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with these stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, and great as great as would be, it contained two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order to cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill your jars with water and pour it on the bent offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Interesting here, we see how Elijah was so confident in God. He says, fill the sacrifice, this altar with water. Not just one, but three times. Not just one time, but three times they filled and water started going around the trenches. Elijah believed in the God who answers by fire. And interesting that it might apply to your situation right now where you may feel that uh, your passions for God has been drained down with water. You may feel that um, your dreams have been uh, watered down. Your dreams have been drained by water. It's time to trust again. It's time to believe again. It's time to restore the altar of the living God. God is calling us to repair His altar in our hearts, in our homes, in His house, the church, and also in our nation. I want to just take time to explain what God is saying to us right now. God is saying it is time to restore the altars in our hearts. In our hearts, it means personal devotion, being in the word, being in prayer, worship. Play those worship music in your house, in your homes. It is time to restore the altar of the living God in our hearts and also in our homes. 
as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will worship God. Use the gains of the lockdown. Use the gains of the season to restore the altar of God in your family, in your home. Remember, fire comes before the rain. Fire comes before revival. It is time to also restore the altar of God in the church, in his house. We see what is happening in the news. I believe God is purifying his church. I believe the true prophets of God will rise in the season. Not fake prophets, not prophets who are just in it for the money. God is cleansing his house. Remember what the Bible says. The Bible said that a judgment begins in the house of God. It is time that the true prophets of God will arise. God is calling us to restore the altars. Not altars made by human hands, but altars in our hearts, in our homes, in his house, but also in the nation. I don't know if you realize that some of the things we see in the nation could be because our leaders have covenanted themselves with, with gods. Uh, they've covenanted themselves with ancestralism. If you visit a place in Pretoria, in Tswane, called uh, Freedom Park, there are some altars there that have been erected. I want to show you uh, a picture. This is a Freedom Park in Tswane. And if you look at this place, it's called Isivivani. If you're Zulu or Tosa, please forgive me for um, not pronouncing that well. Isifivani, basically, it's a, it's a monument built with uh, rocks. And if you see in this picture, you'll see that there's a crawl around this monument. And this monument is erected to commemorate or to remember those who died as freedom fighters. Nothing wrong with commemorating and celebrating and thanking those who died for the freedoms that we experience today. But... There's something wrong with erecting an altar and worshiping. As you can see, a lady bowing down there. This is a posture of worship. And we need to be careful of such things and ask ourselves, what is happening here? We also need to introspect ourselves and say, as individuals, have we covenanted ourselves in things that we should not covenant ourselves in? As you can see that in the Bible, altars were erected by stones. I mean, Elijah took the, the stones, uh, 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And what did he do? He erected an altar unto the Lord. But something peculiar happens there. We're going to read as we begin to close of how God came down and consumed the altar and consumed the, the stones that shouldn't actually burn. This is to say to us, God is after our hearts. He is calling us to restore the altar in our hearts, the altar of devotion unto Him. Remember, when you make a decision to follow God, it's a multi-generational decision. You are bringing a blessing to future generations. When you build the altar of true worship, you are not just doing it for yourself, you are doing it for future generations. The decisions and the choices you make today is also for future generations. Let's read this final part of this text. 1 Kings 18, we're reading from verse 36 to 40. And at the time of the offering of oblation, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel. Let it be known that you are the God in Israel and that I'm your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. And licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. Again, a posture of worship. They fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. They were clear about who they should worship. Not the prophets of Baal, but to worship the one true God. And they seized all the prophets of Baal. Let's read again. And Elijah said to them, Seize all the prophets of Baal, let let no one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Said how the day ended, that all this uh, 950 prophets had to be slaughtered, just as a sign of who should be worshipped, the one true God. Now as we speak about how God separated the true prophets from the fake prophets, He responded with fire. The same way he came down at Mount Sinai when he met with Moses. He came down in a form of a fire. We read here again, God showed up in fire. He came down. The God who answers by fire came down. When the people were looking for rain, God prioritized the fire. God said, fire before the rain. What does that fire mean? Fire came to consume everything, the stone on the altars. It consumed the sacrifice itself. This is what God wants to do with us, I believe. But who can enjoy endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He'll be like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. When He appears, when He comes down, He will come as a refiner's fire, coming to consume that which is not of Him. His cleansing isn't always pleasant. God wants to transform us into the image of His Son. God is more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. God wants to cut out the hypocrisy that's in us to make us better people. In James chapter 5, 17, the Bible says, Elijah was just a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Fire before the rain, purification before revival, repentance before refreshing. So Elijah prayed after the fire came. And the Bible says he put his head between his knees and he prayed to God and he sent his servant to go and look if the rain is coming. And his servant went and came back and says, there's no sign of rain. The servant went seven times and the seventh time the servant came, the servant said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. There was a sign of hope. I see a cloud the size of a man's hand that rain is coming. Rain is coming. And I want to say prophetically to us today that I believe that rain is coming. The fire of God's revival is coming. It's coming to our land. It's coming to our city. God is coming to restore. But before He restores, He needs to purify us. He needs to cleanse us. So let's bring this close to home. What do you need to bring before the Father? What is it that is uh, preventing you 
from worshiping the one and true God, from restoring the altar of the true God? What are the idols that have been trying to take the place of God in your life? Is it ancestralism? Is it the worship of bales, the worship of wealth, success, education, whatever it may be, bring it before the Father. And lastly, is there sin in your life that is preventing you to experience the reign of God, God's revival and God's refreshing? If there's any sin in your life, I want to encourage you to bring it before the Lord and say, God, I repent. I want to change. I want a different life for myself and even for future generations. I want to make a choice to restore the altar of the one true God in my life. As I close, I want to share this testimony with you. A couple came to see me uh, at the church office this week, and uh, they came to just say thank you, Pastor. Uh, about two years ago, it was actually beginning of 2019, uh, the guy said uh, on the 4th of January, I came to church, and uh, people were called to come forward for prayer, and I came for prayer. I was prayed for, and what I was prayed for was the fact that I was an alcoholic. I had delved so much in alcoholism that it was uh, like I was entangled with the chains of alcohol. And I saw how it destroyed my life and, and my family. And at that time when I received the prayer, I felt the deliverance. I felt something leaving me. I felt like I've been delivered. And at that point, I had never, never again touched alcohol. So when you hear stories like this, when you hear testimonies like this, you see that our God is a God who still answers by fire. He can deliver you from whatever cause that may be entangling you right now. Because he's the fourth man in the fire, he is with you through the fire, but he's calling you out to live a life that is holy, that is pleasing unto him. So friends, this is uh, what I believe God is saying to us. God is calling us to restore the altar in our hearts, the altar of personal devotion. God is calling us to restore the altar in our homes where we can teach our children the ways of God. God is calling us to restore the altar in the church. God is purifying His church and God is calling us to restore the altar in this nation, the altar of worshipping the one true God. Father, I pray for those people at home and Maybe they are watching from a restaurant or wherever they may be, Father God. I pray that, God, you will convict them with this word. Convict all of us with this word to see, Father, where we may have moved away from your statutes, from your principles, Father God. And you're calling us to restore the altar. Before the rain comes, comes the fire. Purify us, restore us, make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Sai, for preaching such a wonderful and challenging word. Thank you for reminding us that, about who God is. He is the God of restoration. And remember, church, that God wants to restore not just our hearts, but our homes, our nation, and in the body of Christ, the church. It reminds me of the name of God in Hebrew. It's, it is Eliashib, which means the God who restores. And as we go through this week, let us remember that God is after restoration in our hearts. The only thing we need to do is to partner with Him and say yes when He knocks on that door, asking, can I come in? Can I come and restore this area in your life? Have a blessed week.